do we empower the next generation of leaders? How can that help us, even if it doesn't help our churches? How can we be kingdom-minded instead of empire-minded? What does Alpha do for the culture of a church? Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Pastor Podcast. Listen, our goal in this podcast is to provide you a place to think out loud, but really think out loud through uh, a context that's kind of framed in prayer, that we're here to sort of discern something together about the challenges that we're facing in a changing world. You know that this whole initiative sort of sprang out of the book that uh, that I wrote with Barna and their research and came out with Baker Publishing earlier this year called The Resilient Pastor. Uh, several of you have probably already picked up a copy. If you haven't, I wanna encourage you to do that. Uh, the book really is oriented around eight challenges, four that face the pastor and four that are facing the church. Um, and so many of these other initiatives, this podcast, the roundtables, the cohort, are extensions of that conversation, but it really kind of gets laid out in detail um, in the book. Today, we're diving into that conversation about next-gen leaders, about succession, um, about what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in our churches and what Alpha, running Alpha, um, the Alpha course could maybe be how that could play a role. And my conversation today is with a dear friend, Todd Proctor. Uh, Todd serves on the executive leadership team of Alpha USA, uh, and he helps pastors in key churches across the nation explore the Alpha course within their own context. But, you know, you may know this, but Todd's close to my heart because he was the founder and longtime lead pastor of Rock Harbor in Costa Mesa, where I currently serve. Uh, as lead pastor and Todd led the church through a season of multiplication that birthed many new campuses and church plants across Orange County. Uh, Todd is passionate about investing in young leaders and curating experiences and conversations for pastors that foster greater church unity. Uh, in, in recent years, he's led Pioneering the Way, a multi-church gathering focused apprenticeship to Jesus and One Table. Uh, creating space for senior leaders to break bread and grow together in kingdom friendship. It's going to be a great, great episode. Uh, as ever, we are so grateful for our partners um, in all of these initiatives and specifically for the podcast. Glue is one of those partners. They've launched a campaign called He Gets Us. And the goal of He Gets Us is really to, to connect those who are questioning faith to their next step. Uh, it's a really a, an amazing way for digital explorers to be connected to local churches. So if you're curious about this at all, how your church can get involved, go to hegetsuspartners.com, hegetsuspartners.com slash churches to learn more. One of our other partners is Full Strength Network. Full Strength Network offers affordable, accessible, and confidential counseling and coaching to pastors and church leaders. They know that ministry is hard, and so they've created this well-being membership program that is, an, is incredibly affordable. It's less than $15 a month, and you get sessions with trained, qualified, top-of-the-line experts uh, who are counselors and coaches. Uh, and it's it's really it's it's that affordable because it's being underwritten by some amazing uh, sponsors on their end as well. So go to fullstrength.org to learn more. Um, as is the case with each episode, our goal is not just to give you information, but again, a space to discern uh, how the Spirit is at work in forming us as as leaders, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And so before we dive into that conversation with me and Todd Proctor today, uh, let's just open with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you're the speaking God. And Lord, thank you that you have called us to yourself and called us to serve you, but you've not called us alone. 
you've called us with a team, you've called us with a, uh, uh, others around us, a family that you've set us in. And so even as we listen to this conversation today, help us to think about that. Help us to think about the family in uh, generational senses and in a kingdom minded way that gets us looking beyond our own um, sphere, uh, beyond our own churches and beyond our own aspirations. Lord, we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, Todd, so good to have you on the podcast today. Great to be with you, neighbor. <laughs> it's, fun, it's fun that we actually are in proximity to each other geographically, but now we get to be in a studio together virtually. Yeah, I know. It's it's so funny. If we if I had a better studio facility, we'd be doing this like in the same room together <laughs> instead of virtually. Uh, Todd, I, I wonder, you know, if you'd open by just kind of sharing a bit about your vocational journey. One of the things that pastors have struggled with in this time is just a sense of confidence in their own calling. And so I love asking each of our guests just to share uh, their own vocational journey. And you and I have a lot in common in terms of the worship leader years. And then, of course, uh, you know, you, you led for many, many years the church that I get yeah. to steward and serve now. So just just share some of that story with us. Yeah, well, as you use the phrase lack of confidence in their vocational journey, I think that could be just a defining narrative of my journey <laughs> every step along the way. I don't know that I ever felt confident in whatever the next step was that God invited me into. But like you, I came up through the ranks as a worship leader and helped plant Rock Harbor as the founding worship pastor, the, the community you're now leading. And then it was, uh, and this is so often the case, it was more of an unexpected crisis that provoked uh, a need for somebody to step in beyond just leading worship and being behind a keyboard into leading our church through an interim season that became a full-time ask, but let's do this differently. Because again, my background wasn't teaching or even um, a lot of extra seminary work. And so I, I do think my vocational journey has been uh, trying to bloom where I've been planted and recognizing that part of the call is just a an ongoing dependence on God to uh, shore up the weaknesses and leverage the strengths. I was talking to a pastor yesterday, Glenn, who is in the same boat. He's a worship pastor, been asked to step into the lead role. And he said, what advice do you have? And I said, you know, my advice is if God's chosen you, um, he wants to do it through you. He doesn't want you to become something different or someone different than who you are. Um, his his choice is to do it through you. And that is, I grew in confidence of that. I don't have to sort of take on a whole different gift set or personality mm -hmm. um, to step into the role of pastoring and leading. Uh, that's been really liberating for me just to recognize, you know, God can do it so differently as he does in different cities and contexts. He, he, he leads yeah. differently through different people. And that's been a huge gift each step along the way. That's that's really an encouraging word, Todd. I mean, there are there are pastors, I'm sure, who are listening to this podcast who have, you know, sort of stepped into their role unexpectedly, you know, out of crisis, yeah. maybe even during the pandemic. We know there's been a, the great resignation has hit pastors, too. And so people are stepping in saying, man, am I the right person? But just how freeing that is to hear you say there's many different ways of inhabiting that office or, or living out that calling. And you certainly did it in a really, really remarkable way, Todd, leading with vision, uh, and, and preaching some of the time, but not, you know, being the primary preacher. Let's just right. let's chase that that thread for a moment. What would you say to some of the people who are trying to lead, but they're not the primary teaching voice? How do you shape vision in other ways, you know, beyond the pulpit? Yeah, well, to state what probably should be more obvious, this idea of team and one 
leader not embodying or carrying all the gifts is is shockingly biblical, <laughs> but it hasn't been, you know, up till I think recent years uh, showcased well. And so I, I would say just practically, it's so liberating. I mean, Glenn, you and I both have so many friends that have um, tried to play every part and mm -hmm. it's just been so isolating and, and crushing, even when it seems like it's working. And so I, I think um, what I discovered was that, first of all, um, God intends, you know, for a team to be empowered. And so my role wasn't just discerning um, and, and catalyzing a vision, which is kind of how I'm wired. But my most important role was to recruit, invite, and empower others alongside me that weren't like me. And one of the yeah. biggest epiphanies I had, honestly, is I assumed to kind of be in a team, particularly lead in a team context, I probably needed to almost not be as strong as a leader to empower us, yeah. or, or I assumed I would only attract people that were followers. And when, and this really happened at Rock Harbor in remarkable ways, when I realized I can be a strong leader that partners with strong leaders and we can wrestle and we can dream, that's where the magic began to happen. And it was honestly some of the most exciting years of ministry. Mm. That's amazing. Now, for the last seven or eight years, you've served on the executive leadership team at Alpha USA. And I, I've, I've watched you in so many different contexts, Todd. You're so brilliant at networking. And I don't, I don't mean that in this sort of schmoozy way, but in actually connecting in a really beautiful kingdom-minded way, connecting people with one another, and even hosting moments, hosting gatherings of pastors um, around or in a room or, you know, pastors in a city, pastors from around the country. And, you know, one of the ways you and I got to know each other was you hosted a trip. You took a trip um, wow. of about, I think there was 10 or 12 of us as one of the smaller ones, which I was lucky to get in on a smaller trip with you um, to the UK to see Alpha, uh, you know, HTB. Tell me about that journey for you vocationally. What do you love about that? What has it given you the, you know, what are the gifts of sort of serving in that role for you? Yeah. Well, man, there's so much, um, you know, I, as you're sharing, I reminded, I have a friend that often says relationships are the currency of the kingdom. And I'm a rich man. I, I, I love making new friends and I love introducing friends to friends. And so much of my work with Alpha is just doing that. And when it comes to friendships, some of the most significant friendships I've carried um, for a couple of decades now are across the pond. And I know that's true of you too, Glenn. And when you discover not only people, but places that God has been uniquely at work um, that are different than my, I live in Orange County and have ministered here for years. Um, and there's some beautiful things happening here, but there's something about yeah. being on new ground and going, what's yeah. happening here? What's the fruit that's growing? What are the giants that have, they've been up against? Um, it's so exciting to take other leaders to explore and scout that land. And mm -hmm. so Alpha being birthed out of London um, and more significantly being birthed out of decades of desperation when it comes to churches emptying across the country that led to expectation that was fueled by primarily prayer and reliance on the spirit. Um, there's something really powerful happening over there that still is, I think, in the early days of renewing an entire movement, you know, a thousand Anglican churches around the country. Um, and so to get to take people over there and know that Alpha was kind of a tool birthed out of that renewal uh, yeah. is, is one of the most exciting things I can be a part of. 
Yeah, that's and, and and you mentioning renewal there, you know, Todd. I've heard you in the last couple of years, um, well, really in this last year, especially refer to Ezra chapter three, and and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, one of the gifts of you sort of being in different contexts, like you talked about, new ground, new territory. You're 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 so good at discerning what the Spirit is doing in those different places, and then sort of synthesizing it for the rest of us and saying, "Hey, guys, here's what I see. Here's what I see." So. I wonder if you just take a moment and share that Ezra 3 um, yeah. message with, with our listeners here, because I think it's really powerful stuff. Yeah, this is like the song you never get tired of <laughs> hearing, singing, leading, because I've talked about it so much, I feel like. But every time I talk about it, I'm like, oh, yes, this is such a prophetic parallel to what we're we're navigating still together. Um, yeah. And, you know, the the really quick version is, I mean, we know Ezra 3 holds that story of, God's people out of exile, but not everyone. And there's this really fascinating uh, verse, half a verse that I missed in chapter one for years that said, those whose hearts were stirred answered the call. And the realization of not everybody answered the call. And certainly pastors know what that feels like. Not everyone's willing to dive into a rebuild right now, but we're all in a rebuild. Every church, every pastor listening, we need to be thinking as replanters, rebuilders. You know, that's been spoken about in many platforms already. But what they do, Glenn, is first of all, and this is really significant, they don't start in Ezra 3 with the temple, with the city. You know, you'd think maybe they'd start with walls because it talks about enemies being around them. But where they start is an altar. And I just think that's so fascinating that is they're going, okay, we need to see the renewal of a city and start with this temple. But we're going to start with offering sacrifices again and recalibrating to the fact that the God's presence is everything to us as the people of God. They had completely lost that sense of bearings and identity. And I love that. I feel like that rings so true for right now. And I'm seeing that happen, how prayer and dependence and the offering of sacrifices are really marking this new starting line for so many communities. Yes. And and then the other thing that you see, you know, as you land in this really crazy worship service, I love this passage as a worship leader, because you see this clash almost of generations in worship, whereas they're laying new foundations, as which is fascinating, a new generation is even being empowered to lead. They decrease the average age of service for Levites because they don't have enough leaders, but it allows a new group of young Levites to step forward and help not only serve, but but be a part of this architecture of a new temple being raised. But but you know what happens is there's this this sound of the crying of a generation that remembers Solomon's temple. And they're looking at what's being laid, even as a foundation, saying, this isn't what we had. And there's this beautiful lament being offered of, of grieving what was lost. And certainly that song is being sung, um, probably not enough in terms of words on screen, but out of hearts right now. But there's also this cry of a new generation going, you know, shouts for joy. We get a temple. We get to be a part of creating a new house for God to dwell among us. And I just feel like all that described where we're at. Um, yes. And I I love helping envision leaders to the opportunity to raise up a new temple, to not to yes. grieve what's been lost, but also realize yeah. we don't have to try to reconstruct a lesser version of that. There's something new God's up to. Man, Todd, yeah, that is so powerful. And I've heard you talk about it, but even now listening to to you describe it again, it is so powerful to think about that. Like there's something we're grieving that we're, we're never going back to. Uh, yes. And there's something that's emerging that we can receive the gift of this. And and it does sometimes fall along generational lines, doesn't it? 
Todd, you yeah. one of the hallmarks of your ministry over the years is you've just been so amazing at raising up uh, next generation leaders. And I just want to read this kind of stat here from Barna. Uh, in some of our resilient pastor research, um, Barna found that many leaders are concerned about the future generation of pastors. And 75% even agree that it's becoming harder to find mature young Christians who want to be pastors. You know, maybe young, young mature Christians are kind of saying, mm, I don't know if I want to be a pastor. Um, however, on the other side of that coin, 79% of pastors also agree that churches aren't rising to their responsibilities to train up the next generation of leaders. So, right. so you, you know, they, they say, look, we, it's harder to find young, mature leaders who want to be pastors. But at the same time, they're saying, but we're not also raising them up. So, Todd, you've done this and I'm inherited. I'm, I'm benefiting from the fruit of your investment at Rock Harbor over the years. But speak to our, our pastors who are maybe in their 40s or 50s and have not yet begun to think about raising up a younger generation. of What does it take for a church to do that? Yeah, well, I, there's never been a greater abundance of resources. We know that it's not about the right information or even strategies or models. Those are out there in, in all sorts of ways. I'm, you know, as you bring this up, Glenn, so 20 years ago, I sat across a table in a diner from a guy named Don Williams, who was kind of a vineyard legend. He was a vineyard theologian, um, which is unique in the vineyard movement. Um, but we got put together through a mutual friend, Matt Redman, who's a friend of yours. We got introduced in a time when I was just stepping into Lead Rock Harbor in the interim, had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And um, and God brought Don into my life and he became that guy that came alongside me. But one of the questions he asked me early on was he said, hey, Todd, do you want to be the best? And there was kind of a dramatic pause where my heart was saying, well, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? Right. Um, but he said, do you want to be the best or do you want to raise up 20 better? He said, because the call of Jesus is to raise up 20 better than you. And this was when I was in my mid thirties. Wow. And there's something about that that really wrecked me in the best of ways and really changed the math that I was keeping for my effectiveness as a leader. Um, and it was like, man, how do I get to that 20? And I'm not there yet, but honestly, Glenn, I could, you know, if we had time, I could start pointing out people really around the world, not just the nation that I'd say, man, I've played a part, not yeah. alone in helping them become better than I ever could have been. Yeah. And that is so rewarding. So I think that's it, Glenn. I think it's leaders in their 40s, 50s, certainly 60s on up, just saying, can I begin to lay down this pursuit of being the best or proving yeah. my own greatness or, or even holding on to my place on the ladder? And can I do the Philippians 2 thing? Can I go down intentionally in ways that lift others up? And I'll tell you, there's no greater joy. You know this mm -hmm. already too, Glenn. There's no greater joy than seeing somebody you helped yeah. raise up yeah. flourish. Yes. And if that begins to happen, that'll change the future of the church. We'll be right back to our conversation in just a moment. But first, I want to say a bit more about our partners. I want to thank Full Strength Network for their commitment to help pastors and church leaders cultivate health and resilience in their personal lives. Uh, they understand that when your personal life feels exhausting because ministry is draining you, it's hard to, to lead well. It's hard well to love. It's hard to love well. And so Full Strength Network is a well-being membership program that gives you access to confidential coaching and counseling experts and other relevant well-being related resources, along with a strong community of other pastors that are also focused on being healthy and living healthy lives. And listen, you can access all of this for $15 a month. If you head over to fullstrength.org, you can learn more and sign up 
It comes with 12 sessions for you, 12 sessions for your spouse or family member. It's an amazingly affordable resource, and they're connecting you with top of the line, the best um, Christian counselors and coaches in your area, in your community, um, so that you can know that you're not getting sort of substandard stuff. You're getting really amazing quality uh, coaches and counselors that will be confidential, that will be excellent, but then also is affordable. I also want to thank Glue. Glue has launched a campaign called He Gets Us, and it's about connecting those who are questioning faith with their next steps. And so you, maybe you've seen some of the ads that have been out there with the He Gets Us campaign. They're really aimed at helping to introduce people to the real Jesus and to consider how radical his teachings and claims were. Uh, he Gets Us wants us to be open and approachable so that everyone feels comfortable with asking questions, even the difficult ones. And so the, their goal in launching these campaigns is not just awareness, but really to get people engaging on their website with questions. And then from there, they want to connect those digital explorers with local churches. And so if you're curious how you can connect with people who are already going online with their questions about faith, and life and Jesus, uh, go to hegetsuspartners.com slash churches. That's hegetsuspartners.com slash churches to learn more. And now back to my conversation. It, 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 it's so profound. I love that you tied it in with Philippians 2 there, Todd, because it, it, I, I feel like what we see around the country is we see leaders who kind of rise, and it's sort of like that superhero who becomes aware of their superpowers. But then what they decide to do is become the center of the, of the universe for their church. You know, right. So everything revolves around their super giftedness and everything revolves around their particular you know, ministry calling or whatever. And so everything's built on this one kind of uber gifted individual. And there is an intentional choice that leaders have to make to say, I can do that. We can do that. We can build the whole edifice around my giftings. Or yes. I can I can actually divest myself of some of those spaces. I can yes. and again, I've seen you do this, Todd, where you you give away certain ministry environments or ministry spaces, and you say to a younger leader, you lead this, knowing that it may not be half as good as what you could have done. But yeah. what good does it do for the body of Christ if all we're doing is occupying the, all the all the seats in in all the spaces all the time? And Glenn, I just can't amen to all that, and I just can't emphasize it is so much more fun. Too. <laughs> it's just more fun yeah. to create space paces for young leaders to play and risk yeah. and to yeah. be developed. I mean, and when a community, not just a pastor, but a community, begins yeah. to buy into that narrative of you know, the young man or woman that I see on stage right now, we're not even have them forever, but we get a chance together to cheer them on, to raise them up, to send them out. That becomes contagious um, yeah. way beyond even just the the staff org chart. The people of the yes. church begin to rally to that call. And and I think there's a lot of opportunity for churches to, to, to take on that shift. You just said something in there, Todd, that, that again, it's just part of your MO. I've seen, I know the stories at Rock Harbor of this. Um, but it's actually pretty foreign. And you said, even if they don't stay at this church, a, mm -hmm. a lot of senior leaders are okay with raising up talent so long as it keeps, it stays in house, you know, like, well, that just made our, we just launched another campus. And this is, you know, this amazing young leader that we developed is now one of quote unquote ours in our campus. But you've always had this mentality of like, let's give it away. Like if they go, if they go somewhere else, even better for the kingdom, I mean, speak speak as a big brother to to other pastors now, and and challenge us a little bit. Like, what does it take to shake us out of 
empire building, which is like I'm going to raise up people so they can be viceroys of the outposts of my own empire or versus kingdom thinking, which is like I don't have to benefit from the people I'm developing. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's fascinating right now, Glenn, I know you're seeing this, is the the hard lines of denomination or church expression. I mean, honestly, even like one of the best leaders I know is a leader named Drew Hyun in New York City. I, I think you know Drew. It's fascinating because he's built a network of churches there. I mean, he has a church that has, I think, five campuses. But then he has this network and there's all sorts of blurring of covenant and vineyard and, you know, large and small. And he's just embraced a messiness of what family looks like um, that I feel like is a glimpse of things to come. And I, I think younger leaders and denominations I know are wrestling with this are realizing that, man, the things that sort of categorize and define the past um, are not super compelling. What's most compelling for them, for younger leaders, is just running with people that have shared convictions mm-hmm. um, and want to do it together. And I think we're seeing more and more that can that can sort of happen across what have been historically dividing lines. And so if we are just sort of building a system that says, um, man, we want to raise up our future, it sort of re- redefines what our means, right? Yes. Um, and that's what yeah. I discovered is, um, like here in Orange County, I, I know there are four or five communities that exist that are led by leaders who were raised up out of Rock Harbor. They don't carry the name Rock Harbor, but right. they carry the DNA and they carry yeah. a sense of extended family that they're proud in. And I just feel like um, that, again, is is a really exciting game to be in now that uh, is is going to, again, reshape the future of the church. Yes and amen. Yes and amen to that. The redefining what our is. That that's it, man. That's that's really it. Okay, so related to this kind of the raising up the next gen, I want to talk a little bit about leadership succession stuff, Todd. Um, you know, you and I just went through that. You stepped back into Lead Rock Harbor during kind of this interim season, and and look, succession is difficult, and it's difficult for a lot of churches. Oftentimes, it's bumpy. We we both probably know stories of successions that were botched where someone attempted to hand it off then took it back or you know um and 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 the work that we've done with barna you know a lot of these resilient pastor initiatives have been have been um they've been propelled by a burden because we've seen kind of discouragement among pastors i mean i think our listeners now know the stats uh it was 29 percent of pastors who had seriously considered quitting full-time ministry that was Mm -hmm. That was uh, uh, early in 2021, and then it rose to 38% in October of 2021, and then it's up to 41, 42% as of uh, uh, this, you know, September, this fall, you know, in 2022. So, so it's still hovering at that 40% type of mark, and we want to do everything we can to encourage and help pastors stay. We also recognize that sometimes, you know, you can live out your calling in different um, contexts, you know, so like you living out your calling via the work you're doing with Alpha and several of the other networks. So there could be some pastors that are going to say, you know what, this is great, but it's not for me anymore. I've done my 15, 20 years, whatever. How, what, what, <laughs> what do you think, uh, you know, even in our story here, Todd, you and me, like, like what makes for good transitions in leadership? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think there are different reasons for transition. You know, best case, there's a sense of, um, you know, a long, ra- a long ramp out. And, and I yeah. think there, there are 
ways to prepare the way well. And, and in any case, I would say any way that you can prepare the way, um, the first and most obvious, and this is almost cliche, but I'll say even in the recent story that we've watched being written at Rock Harbor Glen, prayer played a critical mm-hmm. part and not just mm-hmm. sort of, hey, once a month, we're going to put this on the prayer list, but it was like this rekindling of desperation in the Rock Harbor story of saying, you know, Lord, we we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's that, you know, Chronicles passage. And I think um, just bringing this before the Lord again and again and again is so critical um, for, for preparing the way practically and spiritually for whoever is to come. Um, I think preparing the way also, there was some things that happened uniquely in the Rock Harbor story that I think probably in some ways need to happen in every story of just preparing the way, um, getting the house in order and and saying, are there some uh, agendas? Are there systemic issues uh, that need to be dealt with now as opposed to just handing those to a leader coming in and having sort of a courageous self-assessment? I think um, I've, I've seen that happen in quite a few stories where instead of just saying, who can we hire to get us our guy, um, going through a courageous self-assessment of not only, you know, where, what do we have to offer, but where are we broken? Um, yeah. Where have we been stuck? And trying to do whatever work can be done ahead of time. Um, you know, you just recently moved to California and, and I, I would imagine in that moving process, there was a bit of a purge, right? I mean, yeah. it's not yeah, like everything was, yeah. you had in your house in Colorado is now That's in right. your new space in Orange County. There was a bit of a purge of going, what can we leave behind? What do we need to um, mm. lay down? And so I think some mm. of that work was critical in, in really. our journey. Um, and and then I would just say preparing the way just to be patient. I My fear is that people get um desperate enough to just get somebody in place um that and and miss sometimes the the cultural congruence the convictional congruence of the story being written um and one thing that's been beautiful glenn about you stepping into lead rock harbor is that man you bring so much that is new and exciting and and just a capacity i think rock harbor's never had but there was a congruence that we talked about some dna of, of values of there was almost like a a shared heritage even though you yeah yeah never led that that felt like oh this is a fit you know this is a fit and i think having the patience to mm-hmm. wait for that leader um and trust that god is going to bring that leader uh is is challenging right now when churches are just looking for a fix to get yes. kind of sundays back online if that makes sense yes. or Yes. Yeah. So those are some thoughts I have. But so good. That's so good. Prayer, purging, and patience. It's very (laughs) good. Uh, I I would add for me personally the fourth P is Proctor. Always try to follow a Proctor. (laughs) Things are good. Things will go better when they do. No, (laughs) I'm really really grateful, uh, Todd, for the you know to be standing on your shoulders here. Uh, Listen, I want to return to the Alpha conversation a little bit. You you've been helping churches you know introduce them to Alpha for a lot of years now. Um, what, what are some of the fruit of that? When, when churches start running Alpha, it's more than just evangelism or conversions. Of course, there is that. But, but what changes in the culture of a church when they start embracing well, Alpha? Well, that's a great question. And that's, that's the conversation I'm in constantly with leaders is 
I mean, Alpha is a remarkable evangelism tool. You know, tens of millions of people around the world have now been through an Alpha course, and that's trending even up. But for me, you know, culture is the payoff. It's not just what we do, it's who we're becoming. And as we were talking about the Ezra passage and that new foundation, I am utterly convinced, I know you are too, Glenn, I know I'm preaching the choir, that whatever new foundations look like, tables will be a part of those. Yes. Um, and a sense of not just presentation, but conversation. I, I know I've got, you know, a, a couple uh, millennials and, uh, wait, two millennials and two Gen Z, I guess, in my house right now. And as we talk about even what they're looking for in church, they want a place where they get to bring their voice and they get mm. to process and not mm. just sit and watch and receive, but mm. play and, and engage. And so I think that space of interacti interactivity and then honestly, there's just a growing, and you work with Barna, there's undeniable statistics that say a generation that's deeply um, sort of skeptical, if not completely turned off by church, is also deeply yeah. um, interested in exploring spirituality and encounter. And so there's a sense of a place where um, there's more happening that can be explained by best efforts of man. And and so I think that that combination of a table, uh, you know, meals that unlock people, conversations, and then sort of a non-weird, naturally supernatural pursuit of more, um, mm. that's that's something that isn't just an evangelism course method. That's a foundation for whatever the future culture of the church needs to look like. Alpha yeah. just happens to carry that DNA because it was birthed out of a post-Christian reality that, that yes. pushed churches that direction. Um, so that's why it feels like it's sort of a gift, um, because uh, when I whenever I take the leaders of London, I say we're almost going in a time machine, you know, to our future. Let's explore what post Christianity looks and feels like, and what it actually looks like for the church to flourish yes. in that context that we're so afraid of. Yes. And I think it's those elements that have allowed churches to rebuild in powerful ways. You know, it's really it, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned kind of millennials, Gen Z, whatever, and and and. Um, the thing that is so striking when you go and see Alpha at HTB is how many young people are the ones yes. flocking to these Alpha nights. And and it, it kind of ties in with our conversation about the next generation, succession. I mean, there's a thread through all of this, but but that model of a table, that model of hospitality, of shared leadership, of shared voice, um, that that is actually going to be the thread that, that connects all these conversations. We want to raise up next generation leaders. Yes. Let's have tables. We want to facilitate sort of a, a radical hospitality, a phrase that you used with me when you were mm -hmm. describing Alpha to me years ago, radical hospitality to the, those who are not believers. That's, you know, a table. Um, yes. Where's that place where we can kind of have this openness to, this, to the Holy Spirit, to, to the presence of God that goes beyond what we can offer and do? I mean, that happens at the table. The early Christians kind of said that. It was at a table that they first began to sense uh, the presence of the risen Jesus with them in a special way. So as we close here, Todd, I think the perfect well, the perfect way to kind of wrap this up is to ask you to pray over our listeners. Uh, they, our listeners are, are all over the spectrum here. Some are going to be younger leaders who are themselves saying, oh, Todd, I need to be in a setting where my voice is valued and where people will take risks on me. Uh, some of our listeners will be in a different, on the other end of the spectrum where they're saying, man, I've had my head down and I've tried to put this thing on my back. And I actually do need to get better at a collaborative sort of thing here with table, uh, or think around, you know, uh, who's around a table. Um, and then maybe there's a third group of, of, of listeners who are just sort of like, I'm, I'm worn out. And the words yeah. that you've said about prayer and about altars 
is really where we need to start. So I'm not asking you to pray for all three of those groups. I'm just naming them yeah. for our listeners to say, we, we know you, we hear you. Uh, and then Todd, would you just pray over us today? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, let me just preface the prayer with this. Dave Ferguson, who leads Exponential, incredible leader. We've had this chance to share stages on a tour that was focused on the Holy Spirit. And he asked an honest question in front of lots of pastors this prayer, come Holy Spirit. He said, that sounds kind of weird because isn't the Holy Spirit with us already? And he probably represents so many people that are curious, but have questions about even the Spirit and charismatic. And then he actually answered his own question. And he said, you know, I guess it kind of means we're welcoming him, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, that's exactly it. You know, this prayer that for centuries has been prayed just means, Lord, we welcome you. We need you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We honor you. And I just want to pray that now, Glenn, over mm -hmm. all those pastors and leaders listening. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We invite you into the questions, uh, the uncertainties, the insecurities we carry, the passion we carry, the, the visions and strategy being stirred, even in listening to this. We welcome you into it all. Mm -hmm. uh, we know new foundations are being laid. And what a privilege to be like those young Levites being empowered to get our fingerprints on the bill. Um, but it's daunting too. And so we just ask, I ask Lord that you would just bring, um, even at the close of this podcast, a new starting line for leaders desperately in need of it, um, that you would lift their heads, that you would infuse them with just a new hope and courage um, in a, in a reimagination of, of what they even thought was possible. Lord, I pray for team. I pray for mm. partners on the journey that are even outside of historic lines that they've in lanes they've run in. Um, and we just pray for more. Come Holy Spirit, bring more. that can be explained by our efforts, strategy, what we can bring on our best day. We need you. We welcome you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Todd. So good to talk to you today. Yeah. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you so much for listening today. And once again, we want to give a big shout out to our partners, Full Strength Network, uh, who's making confidential coaching and counseling accessible and affordable to pastors and church leaders everywhere. Go to fullstrength.org to learn more. And we want to thank Glue for their way that they're trying to help churches connect with digital explorers in our communities. And you can go to hegetsuspartners.com slash churches to learn more. Hey, we are so grateful that you've taken the time to listen today, wherever you find yourself, in your car, on your bike, on the walk, uh, the treadmill, the gym, the beach, wherever you are. We're so grateful that you're listening. And just remember, you've got people who are thinking about you, who are praying for you, who are in the trenches with you in ministry. And more than that, best of all, as John Wesley said, best of all, God is with us. So the Lord be with you today, friends.